All right, Jesus, thank you so much, God, for who you are. God, that you're a good father who loves us, that you are chasing after us, God, that you, you know everything about us. God, you know what we did last night, and yet you still love us. You're here in this place. Your presence is known. And I pray, oh God, for any person in this room that doesn't know you tangibly, that doesn't know your presence and your power and your beauty, God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they experience you at a whole nother level, Father. I pray for those with broken hearts tonight, those that have had horrible news over the last couple of days, those that are in uh, hospitals, family members that are in hospitals. I pray, oh God, that you would lift up the broken heart, Father, that you would remind us that there are always better days ahead. That you are always calling us to more and to new and to beauty and to life. So speak life to us tonight, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, before you take a seat, say hi to a couple people and we're going to get this going, all right? Sound good? Right on. All right, right on. How's everybody doing tonight? You guys doing good? Awesome. Hey, like, like Yabby said, I just wanted to throw this out there. Um, we're, we're, we're dreaming of, of stepping into creating more space, more space for those that might uh, only be able to come in the morning, or maybe you just enjoy church in the morning. So we're going to create that space, and what we're going to do, this is just what the strategy looks like, okay? I'm just saying it. I'm just going to put it out there. What we're, what we're planning on doing is in January, in February, in March, and then in April. January, we'll do one service. So if, if, you're, if you have family members, if you know people in your life, like, you could just tell them, hey, what's one, like, evening for two hours to just come and come to church, so one service in the morning, and we'll always have night, obviously. So one in, one in January, one in February, one in March, and then in April, our goal, our, our prayer, our desire is that as we do that, that people will step up and desire to serve and also to give, as Gabby said. Uh, because obviously it, it costs money to be in this room, right? Like that's, there's, there's no way around that. And so the, the, the more you give, if that's something that you feel compelled to do, we're not begging you to do it because we believe that God's going to take care of it. But, you know, we need people to step up and, and to, to help in that way. So January, February, March, and then April, we're going to do a morning service for Easter Sunday. Okay? And on my, my, the prayer, the goal, the dream is on Easter Sunday, that next week will go every single week at 11 a.m. and at 5 p.m. So I'm dreaming for that. I'm praying for that. It's going to stretch me. It's going to stretch the team. But here's the thing. One of our values is beyond the horizon. And it will always be like that. We're always going to stretch ourselves. We're always going to press ourselves. We're always going to push ourselves to more because that's the God that we serve. When I'm in relationship with God, he's pushing me to boundaries that I'm not comfortable with. And then as soon as I hit a certain ceiling, he, he opens the roof and says there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. And, and 
don't, don't mishear us. We're not doing it to have more people. We're doing it to reach more people. I desire passionately within my soul to reach people for Jesus that do not know hope to have hope. Or at least to experience what it's like to step into a room filled with hope. And so we get to embody that as, as coin. We get to embody what that looks like to invite people into a space that we have designed and created because God has given us a creative mind, innovative and transformative. I don't want to play church like we've played it before. I don't want to do church like we've done it before. We're always going to be pushing the boundary, and that's our goal. Why? Because God created our brain, and God is, has the greatest brain ever. He created us, so why can't we be creative? So I just want to like, encourage you with that. Be thinking about that. Be praying about that. I'm going to be inviting more people. And, and again, obviously, the morning service might feel more like a family service. That's, that'll be our goal. We're going to have uh, Maddie and Brendan up here preaching every Sunday. But <laughs> <No. laughs> we're going to, they're, they're like, honestly, like that, that's, that's the future, Right? Family is the future. That's like the city we live in is filled with family. So why on earth would our church not look like that? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It really doesn't. But I just want to invite you to step into that. Ask God, what is it that you want me to give? Or what is it that, where do you want me to serve? Is that something you're calling me to? And the first step is just to come to Huddle. Come to Huddle at 420. Have that conversation with us. Sound good? All right, hey, so tonight we've been talking about this, this DNA conversation, this DNA collection of who God is. In the first week, we talked about Jesus being a human being, that he knows who you are because he's, he's gone through the same things that you've gone through. He's, he, he was on the throne, and he stepped down into humanity, took on flesh and blood, and walked amongst us. And then the next week, we talked about Jesus being a teacher, being a rabbi, and all of that's great and all of that's wonderful. But the question the next week was, do you believe that Jesus isn't just a great teacher or a great human being, but do you believe that he is God? And we had that conversation. That, and then the week after, we had James and Nelson. And, and hey, let's give it up for them. They killed it. I, I loved it. I sat back. I was enjoying it. I thought they, they blew it off. They blew the roof off. It was amazing. And this week, I get to have a conversation with you and something that seems incredibly interesting. It's an imagery of God. It's the characteristic to which God uses. And here's the thing. God, is, God created the entire universe. He created the animals. He created the birds in the sky. He created those that would hover over the earth, the, the birds in the, the ocean. He created all of it, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And then there's this imagery of this, these two animals in the scriptures. And one that I think we, we, it's like, oh yeah, I want to talk about that one, is the lion. That Jesus is the lion. And I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. But, but I want to talk about the one that like isn't that sexy or fancy or awesome. It doesn't at least perceive to be that way. And it's Jesus is the lamb. You see, we want to talk about Jesus being fierce and powerful and mighty and majestic and the king of kings. And he is all of those things. But what about Jesus being the lamb, innocent, sacred, gentle and kind and meek? And so it's almost as if it's two different extremes, right? So I have been given a huge task to kind of talk with you on the conversation of Jesus not only being 
a fierce, powerful God, but how he's also innocent and gentle. And he's meek and he's kind and like a lamb. Like a lamb? Like we're going we're gonna to compare Jesus to a lamb? Yet all throughout the story of scripture, he was depicted as lamb. All throughout the story of scripture, he was depicted as something that was gentle, and yet we just might be missing it. So I love going to the movies. Kelly and I love that. That's like our date night. Um, I, I just am like, I don't know, I'm, I'm fascinated with the ability to tell a story. I really am. And I love that there's a plot and there's scenes and there's characters and there's different main characters and there's, there's different levels and there's different people that come in in different spaces. I love that there's a climax to a story. There's a plot twist, something that switches up on you. And you can go into a movie and it's all about the experience, isn't it? At least for, it is for me. Like Kelly and I at the Harkins, you have to have that certain cup and you, it's like a dollar or I think it's like $1.50 now, so they're up in it, to get like a free refill, right? Or refills throughout the night, it's only $1.50, right? And so Kelly and I, we have those, we take them and we're driving, we're like, oh my gosh, we forgot the cups. Like we need to go back. Like, and then we always get the popcorn. Like you can't watch a movie and really experience it without the popcorn. And so we, we go and we sit and, and I just like, I'm not much of a cynic or I'm not really critical on a lot of things, but there's just those movies that when you step into them and you leave, you're, you're like, you know you're in reality. You're like, oh, I'm gonna go home, that was great. But then there's those other movies that captivate you and they draw you in and, and it's so alluring and it's so powerful and it's so enticing and it almost feels as if, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm in the movie. I'm feeling what they're feeling. I'm seeing what they're seeing. I'm understanding at a deep level. And I leave and the, the movie ends and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm in reality. I'm not a part of the movie. It's a lot of times I feel that with like the superhero movies. It's like, oh man, I just wish I could do that. Like, wow, like as a kid, it, you really felt like that. And I still do to this day. I, I know there's the author or the editor or the storyteller did a great job when you feel as though you're in the movie. And what's beautiful about that, as I said, that we serve and live under the imago Dei or the, the image of God, that we were created in God's likeness, meaning he created us. He created your brain. And if he created your brain, then you have the ability to think like God. You have the ability to dream like God. You have the ability to imagine and write story like God. And I just truly believe, I'm biased, by the way, I believe that God is the greatest storyteller to ever live. Did you know that there are 3.9 billion copies? To this day, I looked it up, you can search it on Google, 3.9 billion copies of the Bible sold. Over exceeds any other book in mankind because there's a story being told. It's a story about humanity. It's a story about your soul. It's a story about the lives of other people, yet they, they depict us in some way, some form. Brokenness and joy and venture and power and rule. And yet there's something that God did in the story, and he did it knowing the end in mind. Have you ever been in those movies that it's like, they do something in the beginning of the scenes and at the very end, it like pulls up again. 
Those are my favorite movies, by the way. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like, I remember that one scene and there was story and there was echo and there was echo and finally the climax spoke to what was being said in the very beginning. Well, God has a similar, similar story in the scriptures when we're talking about the lamb. And I wanna open up your eyes in a way that maybe you might not have seen it that way. In Genesis, we find ourselves in the scriptures God creates humanity, Adam and Eve, and he says to go and to flourish and to create and to dream. And yet he just tells them, don't do that one thing, though. Just don't, don't do that one thing. And they just decide to go do that one thing. And then in the story, of course, there's, an advers- there's someone against the plot and the desire and the dream of God. There's wickedness that seems to be luring in the trees, Right? And then Eve is deceived, and Adam is deceived, and there is this separation. And then we find ourselves in the story of Genesis chapter 3, where God says, Adam, where are you? Yet God knew exactly where he was. Adam, where are you? Because the scripture said that God was able to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Relationship at its most intimate. Conversation with the creator of the universe in his creation, humanity. And so Adam... And Eve, they, they mess up. And God's saying, where are you? And he says, God, I, I noticed we were naked and afraid and we were ashamed and so we covered ourselves. And he's like, who told you that you were naked? And so what they decide to do is cover themselves on their own with fig leaves that are already corroding. Fig leaves that are already falling apart. Stitches, they, desi- they, they decide to stitch them Selves up of their nakedness and shame and brokenness and they use leaves that are already withering. I was naked and I was afraid. I was afraid that you would see my shame, my brokenness. I have already created separation with you, God, and I was trying to cover it up. And God says, what God does in chapter three blows my mind and I've missed it over and over and over again until I started to read the scriptures in a different way. You know, we can read the Bible and if you grew up in church, it's like the same story, but like you might just have heard it secondhand and then you read it yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was in there. Well, it's because you're just hearing it secondhand. It's like secondhand smoke, you know? And so I read this and it blew my mind. It says in Genesis 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Do you know what that tells you? God's a great storyteller. Theologians would would argue that Moses wrote Genesis. Moses was an incredible, that ancient time they were all about poetry. So when you read Genesis, you have to know that's what it's written in, in light of. It's not just facts. It's mythology, it's powerful, it's in, intriguing, it's, there's hints in there. You have to actually read it to understand it. You have to actually go there to imagine it. And so when it says that God put clothes on them, he covered them, what does that mean? He had to kill an animal. There was bloodshed for the covering of Adam's sin and Eve's sin. There was separation that took place. So what God did, what man couldn't do, I tried to cover myself, God. God says, but at this point, by the way, there's no record of ever being death. There's no blood on the ground screaming back to God. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that, but there's a small hint. The Lord God made garments of skin and covered them. 
And what's powerful about that, it's like, you know, the movie where you watch it in the beginning, you're like, that's weird. And at the very end of the story, it all makes sense. God covers them because of the shame, brokenness, and nakedness. I don't want you to see it, God. I'm ashamed. So God says, I'll cover it then. But it's just momentary, right? It's like a jacket's going to wither eventually. You're going to have to throw it away eventually. It's not going to fully cover up what's deep within. It's just an exterior cover. And so what happens throughout the story is there's this man named Abraham. I don't know if you've heard it or grew up in the church, but I did. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Why do we sing that song if we don't understand the full ramifications of what that's saying? It's saying that father, that Abraham was a father of many nations. He had many sons and many daughters. God gave this man, Abraham, a dream and a vision and a call that was filled with risk. Abraham, I want you to go move in your entire family. Leave what you know into the unknown. I'm calling you there. Just trust me. And Abraham had to make a decision. Will I go and trust God or will I, do I have to find out what he's going to do before he actually calls me to it? And the scripture says that he's accredited to the, the, the father of faith because he believed in God. He believed that God would do something powerful in him. God gave him a dream. God gave him a promise. And he actually stepped into the promise. But it was filled with risk. But he promised him, he says, Abraham, look up in the sky. Do you see all those stars? One day you will have nations and your kin, your, lot, your, your, the, your children will be as, like, as many in the sky. And look at the sand on the shore. Do you see all the sand, Abraham? That's how many descendants you will have. That's a big promise. So what happens in the story, it's going to take too long to explain, but we find ourselves with Isaac, the promised son for Abraham. In the morning, God wakes Abraham up. He says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. We read that, at least I do. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's like the story I read when I was in like children's school. But like that's actually really harsh and daunting. And I don't know if I like a God like that. I don't know about you. I don't know if you ask yourself that same question like, wait, God, you're telling this man, Abraham, to go and kill his son? That's crazy. But there's a reason he's doing it, because he's the greatest storyteller. And so he picks Isaac up. Isaac was probably about 15, 16, maybe even 17 years old. He wasn't a little kid. He's like, all right, Dad, like, you, you've got what we need to, to sacrifice to kill the animal, the lamb, the goat. And, and we got the wood, and we're going up to the mountain, but, but where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, it's almost as if, though, he understands the heart of God. He's like, God will provide, Isaac. He's going to provide. I read that, and it wasn't really a lie. I think he was just stepping into the faith that God would provide. I know you told me to sacrifice your son, my son, God, but, but I believe you're going to provide. And the scripture says this in Genesis chapter 22. It says, do not lay hand on the boy. As Abraham was at the point as he picked up the knife, as he was about to kill his only son, a voice cries out, the angel of the Lord, and it says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. 
because you have not withheld from me your son. And notice it says your only son. Why, why would it say that? We're on the other side of the story. Why on earth would it say that? Your son, your only son. Abraham, the one that's accredited to the father of many nations, to the father of Israel, the father of faith. I, I, I love that you did not sacrifice your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram, which was a sheep, by the way. Rams are just male sheep with those big horns. Caught up in its horns, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it and as burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And after that story, the reason I'm, I'm sharing this it's because it's so incredibly important to know, if you desire to know anything deep about God, when it said Jesus is the lion and the lamb, we sing that song, it says Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that all sounds great, but what does that mean? But to a Hebrew, to a Jew, that means everything. Because after this point with Abraham, there, became, there came a man named Moses. And Moses led the people of Israel into the promised land. But Moses was given commandments by God. Their sin I cannot see. It is grotesque to me. They choose to continually reject me. So what I want you to do, Moses, is create through the line of Aaron, your brother, a priesthood. And the priests will have a lamb or a goat or a bird. Read Leviticus, it's crazy. And what I want you to do is I want you to kill that lamb, kill that goat, and the blood will cover their sin for a moment of time. And we look at this story and we look at God like, why, do you, are you really a God that needs that? But here's the thing, I really don't believe God needs our burnt offering, our sacrifice. It's actually more for you. He didn't do it for him. I don't think God's up in heaven in the Old Testament really insecure. Wow, if they don't like do this to the animals and, and the blood isn't covered, you know, like I, I just don't know if I can be their, their, their king. I don't know if I can be their God. Like that, God isn't up in heaven contemplating his insecurity with the people of Israel. He's saying, no, I'm doing this for you. Because you're naked and ashamed and afraid and I need it to be covered. I need you to be reminded where I'm taking you, you have to let go of the past. So there's covering and there's covering. Imagine the priests. Like they probably had blood stained on their hands. That's crazy. Imagine like what it smelt like. And the screech and the scream of a lamb of a go of birds and the blood and it just, it doesn't feel and sound cool, right? It's like, ah, I don't like that. And yet that's what happened all throughout the time of Israel and we find ourselves finally at this story. In the book of John, chapter one, I believe it's verse 29. Jesus is just beginning his ministry and there off in the distance as he's walking, as he's hanging out, there's a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was one of the great prophets. And John says, my only mission in life is to call people to repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Get ready, people. I don't know why, but like you need to be reminded that you need covering. Repent of like your wickedness, brokenness, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all of a sudden, as John is walking next to the water, he's baptizing people. He sees in the distance almost a revelation within the story of God. And he sees Jesus for the first time, because it was his cousin, by the way. I don't know if you know that. And he looks at him and he says, Behold, take notice. Lean in. I'm saying something. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And to us, we read that. Oh, that's great. You know, I'm going to read the book of John. And you're like, behold, the Lamb of God. Takes, oh, that's kind of interesting. And you just keep reading. But the magnitude of that statement. In 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking, the Hebrews knew it. John knew it. The apostles knew it. Those around him knew what the lamb resembled, the sacrifice, the blood, the brokenness, the coverings. So when somebody says an audacious statement, behold, the lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, they all knew what that meant. It was almost as if everyone in the scene of the movie got still and was like, do I believe that or not? That's, I, is, that, is that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth? You see, I wrote this down. The lion and the lamb are two images and names of God used in scripture that describe aspects of Jesus. The understood physical attributes of each earthly creature often point to the spiritual attributes of Jesus, who is as powerful and as majestic as a lion and as innocent as, as a sacrificial lamb. I want to read you guys a passage of scripture. Hey, Toby, could you come up? Because it sounds a lot better if you just play behind me. It really does. It sounds good. Could you just come and play behind me? Because we're going to, we're going to, like, I'm almost to the end of, of my conversation here. But <laughs> the book of Revelations, have you ever read the book? Like, I grew up in church. I sat under teachings. And every time I read or heard or listened, there was even a time, I don't even think my mom knew it. But she's like, we, <laughs> we had this cassette player. I couldn't sleep at night. I was probably like eight years old. And she's like, I'm just going to play the New Testament for you. And so she put it, and it was all good. And then, and then it had sound effects and thunder. And all of a sudden, it started out the book of Revelation, the end times. And I'm laying in my bed terrified. And there was a black horse, and the black horse resembled death. And there was a white horse, and the white horse resembled. And it was like, what is going on? I remember being terrified in my bed because every time I heard about conversation in relation to the book of Revelation, it was always incredibly fearful and scary. But did you know, don't cheat though, like actually read the whole thing. In the very end of the book of Revelation, it says those who read this book will be blessed. So regardless if you know what you're reading or not, I don't know, I would just read it, like if you really believe that. But anyway, I want to talk to you and share with you about the culmination of the beginning Genesis and the end Revelations. There is something that happened in the Garden of Eden. It was what God wanted to do and love his creation. It was almost as if the, the, the only word I can understand for us to under, get is like, a, it's a, it was a utopia of peace. There was no brokenness. There was no evil. There was no wickedness. 
great perfect harmony with God. And there was just this distortion because of the separation. And all throughout history, God was trying to restore and reconcile. But he's painting a picture. He's telling a story. And in the book of Revelations, there's a man named John. Not John the Baptist, John the Beloved. And John, the scripture says, the theologians will argue that he was the youngest of the disciples. So he could have been about 13 years old when he stepped into ministry with Jesus. Imagine being 13, 14, following Jesus. He found himself in the book of Revelation. The Roman Empire was taking control. Those who claim Jesus is Lord would die. You don't say Jesus is Lord, you say Caesar's Lord. If you say Caesar's Lord, off with your head. Or we're going to burn you at the stake. We're going to impale you and put oil over you. We're going to light you on fire so that all in the city can see that you are a heretic and you don't come against the emperor. That's the context of Revelation, by the way. So John gets sent out into an island called Patmos. Imagine being all alone on an island. And Jesus comes and visits him. And this is why it's so important that you actually have to have some kind of comprehension of the book of Revelations. I remember I shared this with Kelly. I was like, Kelly, the only time that the lion and the lamb are actually together in the scriptures, other than the book of Isaiah, because it says that the lion, or or the, the, the sheep and the wolf will lay together, and the lion as well. Read it up, the book of Isaiah. All that's saying is, in the end times, there's gonna be peace. But then I remember I was thinking, where else is it the lion and the lamb? The lion and the lamb. And then I found myself in Revelation. I, great. Now I have to explain Revelation. And I remember I brought it up to Kelly and she's like, oh yeah, that one's a tough one. Because here's the thing. Imagine being someone that lived 2,000 years ago on an island seeing helicopters. How do you explain that? Imagine being someone on an island having to write about nuclear warfare. How on earth do you explain that? That is why in the book of Revelations, read it, as, as if, it appeared, it seemed, it's metaphorical language. So we can't come in cookie cutter Christian, this is exactly what's going to happen at the exact same time and at this place in three years and four years and five years and this is going to, and the Antichrist and he's going to come. Like, I don't believe that story. Because I understand the ramifications of John seeing in heaven. The scripture says Jesus took him into another dimension. He took him into the heavenly realms. And we find ourselves in the book of Revelations chapter 5. And there's these four creatures with strange heads. One creature has a a man head. One creature has a horse head. One creature, read it in in chapter 4. It'll terrify you. But we find ourselves in chapter 5. I want to read it to you because this is how God works. This is how good he writes stories. It says this in Revelations 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who was that? The only one that can sit on the throne is God. I saw him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Really quick, the seven seals, I wrote this down. The seven scrolls and its seals represent the different judgments that will take place. That might scare you, but we have a system in America filled with legislation and judges and there's different steps. You know they got that from the Bible? That's crazy to me. And so anyway, 
we won't argue that if there was a rapist, there needs to be a correct judgment over them, a correct trial. We would always say, yes, they deserve judgment. We are living in a world right now where injustice is taking its course. All you have to do is turn on the news and it seems as though wickedness is winning and it's fighting and it's pushing against light and beauty and hope and amazement. And you, all you have to do is turn on the radio. There was another shooting. There was another school shooting that took their lives, took his own life. Well, there was another thing that happened in Saudi Arabia. There was another nuclear warfare. There's just pain after pain after pain. And so when God steps in, he will come back as a lion to judge. Judge the injustice. Judge the brokenness. Judge the pain. I want God to come back. I'm tired of sitting and hearing the brokenness of humanity. So it says this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. This is deep stuff, by the way. I love this. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Jesus takes John to the heavenly realms, to this scene. Imagine being John. You hear this voice. Who is worthy to open the seven scrolls of judgment? Who is worthy to take this and to own it? And the scripture says, John says, I felt the brokenness in that moment and I wept. I wept because there was no one. I was looking, I was searching. Who's going to create and bring injustice? Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, we don't have enough time to go over that, I'm sorry, has triumphed, he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then it gets better. Then I saw a lamb, he saw a lamb. Like, I believe he actually saw a lamb. I'm serious. That's what I love about God. He does, he's not confined to like what you want to see. He shows you what he wants to see. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. We don't have enough time to talk about that. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, who God, who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of full of incest, which are the prayers of God's people. That's our prayers. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And they, we, will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. It was roaring. And ten thousands times ten thousands, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the lion? No. Worthy is the lamb 
who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I want a lion to fight my battles, 100%, and he will. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that will fight for, your, for the enemies that you're trying to fight and you can't win, he will fight for. He's the one that when every other voice is too loud, he's the voice in the wilderness that will roar and quiet every other voice. But you need the lamb who was perfect and was seated on the heavenlies to humble himself and become a human being and to go on a cross and to be put on a cross and his bloodshed as the same story in the book of Genesis, the blood that covered would be an everlasting covering for your brokenness, for your shame, for your nakedness. We needed the lamb to go and be slaughtered so that we can rise with him. Scripture says we will rise with him in eternity. So I don't know where you're at, and I don't know who needs to hear this. I know it's an interesting one. <laughs> but when you hear about the lamb, I hope that you would remember Jesus, that he is the lamb that was slain. He is the one that took on all your pain, all your brokenness. I saw a lamb, and it seemed as though he was slain. And that's the God we get to serve. By the way, this shattered the Roman Empire. You don't talk about your God like that. Weak, innocent, meek, I don't want to serve that God. But to the Roman mythology, to all the other gods, they were on their thrones with their foot on your head, controlling you, demanding of you. And yet it's God that says, no, I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to love on my people. And I know I have to die so that they can live. That's the God of the scriptures. He is the lion. He's fierce. He's powerful. But he is also the lamb. He's innocent. And he's meek. And he's kind. So what we're going to do right now as we worship, we're going to do communion. It's perfect because communion resembles two things. The blood or the drink or the grape juice, it's just grape juice. And then the crackers, which resembles the body that was broken and shattered for your behalf. And the only reason we do it is to remind ourselves, oh yeah, he died for me. That's a big deal. He covered my shame, my nakedness, and my brokenness. And so I get to then move forward clothed. Not in the clothes that he gave Adam, I'm clothed in Jesus now. I get to put on Jesus' coat. And his coat is everlasting. And his coat is always, always, always worthy. So we get to step into that moment right now. I want to pray for you. If you guys want to stand up with me, we're going to finish off in worship. You don't have to take communion if you don't want to. It's not some strange, crazy thing. Although it might seem as though it is. Catholicism would argue that some really truly believe that when the priests pray over it, it actually turns into Jesus' blood and his body. We don't believe that. 
We just believe, as Jesus spoke in metaphors, this is a great metaphor for our life. To remind ourselves, the cracker and the drink, the blood, oh, he did that for me. So I can step into my future and not be held by my past. I don't have to, isn't it great that we don't have to bring a lamb up here? <laughs> hey, who's, who's sinned the most? All right, you're first. Here's the blood. You're covered for two months. We'll see you next week or in two months. That's, we don't have to do that anymore. And I am grateful for God that we don't have to do that. But he's the greatest storyteller to ever live. He knows your story, and he wants to be a part of your story. In fact, he actually is. You just don't know it. So, Jesus, we pray for every person in this room, God. I pray, oh, Father, that, that you would speak to the depths of our soul, God, that you would remind us of your goodness and your grace. God, for those in this room that are just wrestling with the reality of who you are, I pray that you would continually wreck their train of thought. Everything that they thought was actual, actually real, I pray that you would change it and bring it to a whole nother level. Everything they thought about you, God, I pray that you would change and show them who you truly are. Speak to your people, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.